Welcome to Midnight Conversations. I'm Anandan Ambikaraja. And I am Stephen Banos. Welcome, Stephen. How are you going? Uh, yeah, not too bad today. Mm. Oh, How yeah? about you? I'm, I'm you doing great, yeah. Uh, why, why not too bad today? That was a very uh, specific uh, way in which you worded that. Mm, I don't know. It's, a, it's been a rainy day today in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Just been working. Haven't, mm-hmm. haven't been outside today. I think, I think ah. that's a... That's what's fever. got me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bit of cabin fever. Mm, fair enough. Well, Are you feeling any uh, feelings of anxiety? Any uh, feelings of, uh, yeah, no, just just anxiety for today's paper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for today's paper to work, I am feeling anxious. No, I'm actually, I'm actually all right. I mean, okay. I'm under a lot of pressure from work and I'm jittery all the time and um, oh. everything seems dark and gloomy, but I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, those don't sound like any of the symptoms. No, no, I think it's fine. Um, excellent. Well, uh, today's paper is about anxiety. Uh, it's an interesting paper. I'll give a bit of a backstory on how I found this paper. I was mm. watching a documentary on Netflix that was about uh, the oils, you know, essential oils. Have you yeah. ever, do you, have you heard or use? Oh, you say that oh, with annoying. Yeah. Yes. What do you, what, how do you know of them? I, I didn't really know much. Uh, essential oils are one of those things where like every time they're marketed to me and they seem to be always be, be marketed through like those pyramid schemes. I'm mm-hmm. just, I look at them very skeptically. Like, yeah, there's no way that this works. This is not going to like, I don't know, Who, turn me into some deity. I, I, it's not gonna. It's not gonna improve my life that much. It's not worth forty five dollars for this small vial of <laughs> what you're claiming to be a magic potion. Who is marketing um, them to you? Out of curiosity, is it like clo- pyramid schemes often involve close friends and family? Generally. Yeah. So, so I sort of hope those friends and family are not listening. Right. Love you all. Costin's <laughs> <laughs> turned to the dark side. Costin, <laughs> your brother. <laughs> but uh, interesting. Okay, so you have heard of them. So that's that's partly what this documentary was talking about. It was fairly balanced to some degree it was talking it had some case studies in there uh regarding people who had fallen quite sick and were using essential oils to help as some sort of naturopathy medicine um essential oils in a nutshell are oils that uh i read on wikipedia aren't actually essential they're called essential because they uh induce the essence of some sort of element so in yeah yeah but it's marketed as essential no no worries (laughs) it's such a pompous title yeah it is essential oils and so what, what they've done is they um they, yeah, they said how it was used and, and some, they had a case study where they had a naturopath who was actually working in a hospital and was administering essential oils for certain patients who had undergone, one in particular had undergone back surgery and was experiencing extreme amounts of pain. And so the uh, naturopath was there and was like helping them and say, oh, do you like this smell or that smell? These are really good for pain and stuff. And it was showing that side. And then as the documentary progressed, it also showed, well, uh, we don't really know what the long-term effects are of these essential oils. And in particular, a lot of people ingest these essential oils. So sometimes, mm. you, I mean, you smell them was one thing I saw. And then other people um, put it like on their skin, like some like cologne or like uh, perfume or some sort. And then uh, other people put it in everything. So they put drops in their water, drops in, they take tablets, all sort of capsules. And uh, that's another way to 
get these essential oils in your body. And then the third avenue in which the documentary pursued was this pyramid scheme, as you touched on, which is the fact that these companies are marketing essential oils and they're, how a pyramid scheme works is you sort of, they ask you to sell a number and recruit others to sell a number and then you sort of get income based on what others sell. But then it filters down such that the only people who benefit are the people who started the pyramid scheme. And, and I think they found, oh, the statistic was something like 80 or 75% or 80% of people who are in the bottom half of the, or bottom section of the pyramid at, gained like less than ten dollars uh, and hmm. uh, the people in the top half had like were like millionaires so it was uh, pretty pretty crazy and but what drew me to this paper was in the documentary one of the ladies was a scientist and said oh you know there's not many studies on essential oils but there was one randomized controlled trial that was done in humans and I was like wait a minute that mm. sounds like a good podcast paper so Brings us to today's paper. So here we are. Here mm-hmm. we are. Um, so you have you used essential oils before, Stephen, before we get into what today's <laughs> Yeah, for for all the things I said about them before, <laughs> my house is full of them. Oh, are they? Okay. No, which, no joke. Yeah. Which ones do you have? Because I know there's uh, the oh. documentary was saying like tea tree oil was good for uh, something, like if you're having pain or skin cancer. Yeah, we have, we have a couple of like uh, breathing ones. I don't know what's in them, like mentholy type stuff. Maybe there's tea tree in that. I don't know. Yeah, but it helps, like, um, clear the sinuses and stuff. I've okay. actually found that's pretty good. Yep, and you um, put them in a diffuser, is it? And that's how it's... Uh, yeah, we got, yeah. like, a little USB diffuser thing that sits beside my bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we have, a, like, a look citrus at, one. Look at you acting sort of like as if you didn't know what they were at the start I of the know. podcast. And here you are. We have them next to your bed. So you're, like, you're like what, a pro essential oil user. What What happened was my partner got given some essential oils. That's how they uh, get you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, I think we're still using the ones that she was given. I don't know if we've actually bought any or well, if we have. They came very cheaply. I think part of the marketing within essential oils that they say is like it's expensive for a bottle, like $45 for mm. a few hundred mils, but like a drop equals five cents so or some metric yeah. like that. So I yeah. think it, it does, you only take a drop at a time, so it does last a while. But uh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, and closer to this paper, we do have actually like a, a lavender nighttime one as well. Oh, interesting. But we have not put it to use. Okay. Um, but maybe this paper will change that. So That's do you want right. to run us through what, what this paper says? Happy to. So well, this paper is uh, looking at lavender oil, as Stephen said, uh, in comparison to a drug called lorazepam, which is a commonly used drug for uh, treating a few things, one of which is anxiety disorder. And so uh, this is a double-blind randomized control study, which is one of the highest tiers or quality of evidence that we have for determining whether uh, something, a drug or a treatment or an exercise intervention or some sort of action has an effect on uh, the health of individuals. So what this study did, which was really interesting, was it it got a bunch of people and it, it said, okay, well, let's get a bunch of people who, and let's test them to see if they on this sort of test called the, I think it was the HAM-A test. Uh, and uh, the HAM-A test uh, allowed the H-A-M-A, it, it was, it stood for something about anxiety, but it was a measure of anxiety. And they found that anyone who had a score of greater than 18 on this or greater than some sort of threshold, they were included in the study. And if they, if you weren't anxious, you weren't included in the study, essentially. Uh, and you had to be 
uh, you have to particularly score high on having an anxious mood and reporting that you had tension. So some of the things that you reported, Stephen, sounds like you'd be a candidate <laughs> for the study. So if you were included, Stephen, in this study, um, there would uh, there would be that first the first week of the study, they actually had a screening phase where they uh, gave all patients a placebo. So it could have just been a sugar pill, just some sort of tablet that had water and sugars in it. And uh, that allowed them to wash out any drugs in their system. And so if and then they were retested on this HAMA test, the anxiety test. And they said, well, if their anxiety decreased by 25% after this sort of uh, flushing out of any natural toxins in their body, then they were excluded from the study. They don't say why, but I imagine it's because they want they imagine they assume that these participants who had an automatic uh, decrease in anxiety due to no drug were likely maybe having short-term anxiety or it was, uh, there was maybe, I, there, I couldn't really think of many other reasons, but there's there's mm-hmm. some reason why they excluded those participants um, and they had that flushing out period. So uh, maybe they the participants were taking uh, other drugs, maybe alcohol or, or marijuana or other uh, illicit drugs that were used to flush out their system or, or treat their anxiety. So that could have been a possibility. So they used this. Um, and then after that, what they had all their participants. They're like, okay, cool. We're going to give uh, one of the participants the uh, lorazepam, the medical drug that's used to treat anxiety. And then the other group of participants, we're going to give them uh, this lavender oil tablet. And uh, they also gave them each a second tablet, which was a placebo. So each group, you got two tablets. One was your assigned one, so lorazepam or the... Uh, lavender oil, and the second one was the placebo. And they wanted to see, well, what were the effects of this overall over time? Uh, And so what they found was uh, after six weeks, they did find uh, equal decrease in anxiety in those who took lorazepam and those who took uh, the lavender oil. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's probably the main takeaway from this study. I've got a few points yeah. to raise about how they did things and what they did. But before I go on, I mean, that's the, a crucial mm. point to get your thoughts on, Stephen. What, what, are you going to start um, sniffing madly at your lavender oil? What are your, what are your thoughts on this one? <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I, I think, uh, firstly, that's, that's huge. That's really impressive. Um, I've always been kind of skeptical of, like, pharmaceutical products, um, I don't know how many of them really work. Uh, so if there is something that's kind of natural that is shown to have the same, similar or better effects, um, 100% want to steer towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't particularly surprised by the result. I, like I, I know that lavender kind of has that like soothing, calming effects generally. And it, like it's used like like in massage oils and stuff. Um so yeah, I, I wasn't surprised to know that it did have some some effect in reducing anxiety, but to know yeah. that it's like similar to to one that's you know like prescribed by doctors to people, mm. um, is great news to me. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean it, it. It's I think it's one of those studies where on the surface it does seem like there is something there, but the I think for me the study had a lot of questions that. Uh, weren't fully answered, which um, lead me to be a little bit on the skeptical side of these results. For example, mm, okay. uh, for the participants, uh, they were aged 21 to 65 years. So that's quite a, a broad age range for the number of participants. They had, I think, 70, oh, 59 participants in, in total. So 
quite a broad age range. They also had a broad weight range. So um, of those participants, they ranged from 44 kilos to 118 kilos. So um, uh, height was 150, 185. But what I'm trying to get at is there were, it seems like they're quite a diverse population. So um, beyond this, there's not much more description of who the participants are, what their background is, and like, do they have things like high blood pressure, uh, which is known to be associated with uh, the use of previous anxiety medication? Had they previously taken anxiety medication? Uh, so uh, there were a lot of like, I guess, questions in regards to who the participants are that weren't really answered for me. And then I think the the second thing that's okay. re- really interesting is the fact that uh, when they did this study, they sort of just, uh, they compared the two groups and they said, oh, well, does the anxiety levels decrease? But they didn't do an important thing we do in science, which is we control for things. So we control for the effect of maybe age. So given that the age range is so vast, it would be important to see, well, do these effects, maybe they're dependent on the age. Maybe the people who are really young in the study were the ones who were, you know, dragging the anxiety levels down over time and, and or there were different anxiety levels between the age groups. So there were just a few things that uh, stuck out to me there. And then probably the biggest red flag from this study was, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be, but it's it was the conflict of interest. They both, uh, two of the main authors were part of uh, some corporation, I can't even pronounce it. It's like Schwab and then GmbH. And so I just Googled it and it looks like that's a health company that sells uh, natural uh, medication. So I mean, there's just a few scientifically uh, in terms of the methodology, a few skeptical things. and in the discussion, none of these things are sort of raised. So it just makes me wonder a question a little bit about the uh, rigor in which the results are presented versus what is really there um yeah, yeah. We, a lot to yeah. unpack but yeah <laughs> sort of... uh sorry i was just i was just looking at that conflict of interest thing like gmbh is um that's just kind of like an indicator of incorporation if you know what okay. i mean like it's just a it's, that's not the the company so it's right just, just so schwab is the name of the company yep. is yep. a yeah served as consultant for for a doctor mm-hmm. um but yeah anyway um I mean, that's that's science, though, right? Like, you're never going to get a perfect paper. I, I realize there are probably things that they should have done here, um, like what you said relating to age. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> does that does that take that much away from this paper to you? Uh, I think it it does to an extent because uh, there there are certain things like even the way they present in Figure Two, they present the decrease in uh, levels of anxiety score, but they and so they they show a graph which shows how much is decreased, but they don't really. Uh, I mean, I don't really know how sig- clinically significant that decrease is. So well, let me, I'll say to the listeners, what the decrease was of eleven points, right, on this scale. But what does eleven points on this HAMA test really mean? And what is it? You know, what does it mean in a clinic? Is that enough to say that you know everyone should be using? Uh, this lavender oil as a result. And and I think a big concern for me is the fact that one of these medications is prescribed and the other isn't, like in the way that anyone have ac- has access to it. So when we talk about the communication of science, it, this paper was published and presumably peer-reviewed, so 
as a result, you know, media articles could have, media outlets could have picked up the article. And then if that's promoted and people are like, well, on the face value, it seems like this lavender works and, and it may do to some extent. And um, then they're going to maybe self-medicate in a way without consulting someone who's more of a professional. And I think that's where the concern comes from for me. So there's no middle barrier of someone with a lot more knowledge informing someone who wants to use lavender oil. I mean, does this make kind of intuitive sense to you, though, that at least like lavender oil does have some kind of like calming effect? Uh, possibly. But I guess within mm. within science, I often uh, use my intuition to create hypotheses. But beyond that, I don't use it to interpret results. So uh, often whether a result makes intuitive or non-intuitive sense isn't really in the equation. I just try to think, well, is there a plausible way in which this result makes sense but not whether it makes sense to me just it makes sense in general you're smirking a lot I mean, What's <laughs> well that was that was obviously the the correct answer <laughs> I didn't how so i'm a scientist oh, yeah. i should, <laughs> should speculate on things based on my intuition no that yeah. i mean what you're saying is but, the right way to approach it <laughs> but yeah no look um i i definitely drink chamomile tea i find that relaxes me i i drink a lot of tea green teas uh you know but i i think I wouldn't I wouldn't put this as my Hail Mary for improving overall anxiety. But, you know, it may be. I just think there's just more research that needs to be done on larger cohorts with, you know, proper analysis. You can't comparing two groups is one of the most simplest ways in which we analyze uh, data and that nothing wrong with it. But it just mm. uh, it just leads open more questions than it answers. You could say, well, is it due to this or this or this or this? And when you compare two groups, you can't really answer it simply um yep. yeah so you have to yep. do something a bit um, more complex can i i, I want to ask a more technical question you might not okay. have the answer no, um, but i'm going to ask it anyway but um what, what what exactly is happening in the brain when somebody is experiencing anxiety maybe oh. not what's exactly happening but well, like yeah. do you know roughly what what, what what's going on yeah. which, which parts of the brain are active so is that a better question i mean you know both are valid <laughs> questions it's just there's there's so many different ways to answer it i think okay. i think the one that'll be most interesting to the listeners is knowing about an area called the amygdala. Um, so for once, we're talking about something that's different to the hippocampus, which is good. Uh, mm. So the amygdala is uh, a small area in the brain, uh, which is commonly referred to as your fight or flight uh, part of the brain, the reflex that is activated when you're in some sort of danger, or if you've been exposed to some emotional stimuli, your amygdala is activated. It's one of the earlier structures um, in evolution and also in, in child development that's there. So often at times as you're developing as a, as a human, uh, your front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex, is actually getting bigger and bigger. And what's the importance of this is the fact that when you get, they say 25 approximately, but it can be older or younger. As you get old enough, your prefrontal cortex is developed enough that it can actually inhibit. So that means stop some of the impulsive reactions that are happening within the lower order or with structures that are within the brain. They're really small parts within the brain if you burrow down to it. And the amygdala is one of those. So when we think about um, emotion regulation, it's the interaction between the prefrontal cortex, this front part of your brain, and the amygdala. So the amygdala is like, oh, I'm scared or I'm anxious. Say you're say you're about to jump off a, a cliff, right? Uh, but you have a bungee jumping cord behind you, right? 
your amygdala is like firing really hard, right? Like it's like, oh my God, I'm super scared. I don't know what I'm going to do. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't go through with it. But your prefrontal cortex says, this is very safe. I've seen hundreds of people do this. Uh, the number of people who die is very, very low every year. And it's, you know, not due to this. It's usually freak accidents. It's safer to do this than to, you know, drive a car. I, I don't know if these statistics are true, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just coughing myself in some way. And so your prefrontal cortex can actually override the amygdala to some extent and say, well, this is a safe decision, I think we're going to go ahead with it. So that's sort of the interaction between those things. So with anxiety, sometimes the amygdala can uh, not be overridden by this prefrontal cortex at a, at a really basic fundamental level. And so that's what we see sometimes. And when it's dysregulated, we have like just this really strong amygdala that's firing all the time. And, and the issue when it comes to anxiety is where it's firing in situations where it shouldn't necessarily be firing. And that's mm -hmm. where it can be disruptive to someone's daily life. So you're, you're getting really scared or in a situation or anxious in a situation based on, you know, you're, you're worried perhaps that some you're ruminating on a thought that maybe doesn't require heavy rumination, but to you feels like it's, it's the whole world when in reality it's not. Um, right. And, and that's just possibly due to, you know, issues in the amygdala. It's one structure of many that are involved in anxiety, but probably one of the main ones. So, yeah. So then do you have any idea how something like benzodiazepine or uh, like lavender oil mm. then kind of helps? Yeah. Uh, I mean, without, getting crazy yeah. technical there's yeah. sort of receptors uh in the brain and they fire on and off and how benzodiazepines work sort of is they like lorazepam is they can sort of help calm the brain you can think of by reducing the activation uh, to some extent so it's called uh, gaba receptors uh g-a-b-a -A, and uh, they're the ones that sort of slow down your activity and and so they it, what benzos do is they work on gaba receptors and they calm you down so that, that's broadly i mean pharmacology yeah, no. to it, but yeah generally that's what's, what's going on but i mean back to this paper i think what's interesting yeah. is that uh, there are some issues with benzodiazepines so benzodiazepines are like lorazepam are um commonly used to treat anxiety but they can be highly addictive and they can are i think one of the most abused drugs uh, because they are addictive in nature and they can be very difficult to come off as a result i think there's a famous um famous person who recently had some issues i think it was with benzodiazepines is uh, jordan peterson he he right. he was sort of away from the public eye in the last year and that was because he was prescribed benzodiazepines for his anxiety disorder and then his wife i think was diagnosed with cancer and so they upped his he was experiencing uh, extreme anxiety as a result and uh, you know he they, she was initially told i think that it was some cancer not to worry about and then three months later they had another scan they're like oh well you may be dead in six months or a year or something so he was super stressed out he went with his uh, psychologist and uh, they discussed things and eventually his dosage of benzodiazepines was increased and then the wife got better but he uh, miraculously she her cancer actually went away but he got worse and worse and what he found was he was struggling to get off the benzodiazepines so went to all sorts of different things. And I think as the story goes, he went to Russia and he was induced in a coma and came out of it and was okay-ish. So he's doing a little bit better, but what, yeah. Well, the last thing I read was when he went to hospital for that, he then got COVID-19. 
and oh, now he's really? suffering from pneumonia. And so uh, I hope right. you're okay, Jordan Peterson, if yeah. you're listening. Send us Jeez. an email if you are. That's it. Well, he would know much more about benzodiazepines than you and mm. I. But uh, it's it, it can be quite an addictive drug. So it's really, really important to know that, you know, it's not something you want to be on long term. And it's it's for, yeah, the treatment of anxiety. You want it to be a short-term solution. So, mm. um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. So that's why this study has a lot of merit in terms of uh, its validity and its importance of... Um, finding something that sort of maybe has less withdrawal symptoms than the current drugs that we have out there, something that's more accessible. But you, yeah, I just, the thing I worry about with that accessibility is the links with people overusing or misusing it um, to to some extent. So, but you could, there's an argument to be made. Some people self-diagnose with alcohol, right? When they're feeling Mm. anxious. So if they're going to self-diagnose with something, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I mean, you told me there was coffee in your cup, but it just seems very unlike you. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I'd love to believe these results. I'm just more on the skeptical side than usual for today's uh, podcast uh, for all the reasons mentioned. But Stephen, yep. in saying that, what do you think mm. are uh, the outcomes from here? Do you think that, uh, would you be interested in you know, more scientific research done on naturopathic uh, medicines? Are there any any medicines in particular you'd be interested in people pursuing, scientists pursuing? Yeah, ma- massively. I think, you know, people are consuming these essential oils like crazy. And so mm. the more information that we have around them, the, the better, I think, for everyone. Yeah. Do you agree? I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the consumption of it's a scary one for me when people... Yeah. I mean, you say it's just a drop or two drops, but... Uh, when that's aggregated over long periods of times and we have no clue what's happening. And, and you know, this paper shows there's some effect here. Uh, we just, you know, but w- what the long-term be- uh, disadvantages or benefits are, we don't know. So I think it's, yeah, that's, that's a, that'll be an interesting thing, how it goes. And the problem I have with pyramid schemes are, you know, I'm always skeptical if someone's making money off of it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, exercise is free. Yes. I mean, people make money off that too, but you know, a lot of people who it works for, you want to make sure that their interests aren't sort of colored or blinded. Yeah, so, Def- yeah. definitely. Be yeah. cautious and keep informed. That's and saying it. that, if you disagree or agree with anything we've said, or if you just want to say hello, send mm-hmm. us an email at midnightconversationspodcast.gmail.com. You can also send us recommendations for papers to cover by the where else can they hit us up, Anadin? Uh, TikTok and TikTok. Facebook and all the social media pipes. So hit us up yep. on any of them. And uh, we I actually won't get back to you. I'm doing a thing. Uh, pro, I know we're wrapping up, but I'm doing a thing yeah. from a book I read recently. It was uh, about deep work because I'm writing my thesis at the moment. And so I'm really yeah. fascinated about ways in which I can tap into uh, working deeply, which is defined as being able to work on high-level problems for long periods of time. And, and the book argues that it's more and more difficult to do this in, in today's society because we're you know, our attention is, you know, taken up by so many different things. And so social media is one of those things. Email is another one, especially as an academic. Like I, I live on my email every every few minutes I'm checking that. And so I, I a few weeks ago, I set a few boundaries, one of which was I only check my emails from 4 to 6 p.m. each day. Mm. So I've, I said that to my colleagues and, you know, they all seem very happy with it. And it's it's worked extremely well. Um, but the second thing is I am less so on social media, more so of a detox, but pretty much not not on it. So uh, apart from uploading this stuff and, and doing the weekly thing, that's usually my only contact. So I won't see mm. it, but Stephen will. Um, but uh, it, I'm, I'm doing similar things to you. But, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Someone will respond to you. Yeah, someone, it, may be, it may come in a, a bit slowly, 
but uh, via email is probably the best way to get us right now. <laughs> and yeah. say that. But in saying that, yeah, uh, Stephen, uh, thank yeah. you very much, and uh, we'll see everyone next week. Yeah. Thank you. Longer episode than usual, but I hope yeah. you enjoyed it, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Bye.